Our service doesn't end after we leave the military. The mission changes, but we still find the need to be of service. What's yours? Listen in as we talk to our guests about their military careers and life after the uniform in their second service. This podcast is sponsored by Fortis et Fidelis, a brand dedicated to honoring the brave and faithful. Make sure to check out fortis-fidelis.com and support the podcast by subscribing to the show and leaving us a five-star review on all the podcast platforms. Now, let's get to the show. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Brave and Faithful podcast. Uh, Today, I have the pleasure of talking to another author. He's the author of The Body Man, uh, Eric Bishop. What's going on, Eric? Not too much. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for joining me. Um, you know, before we talk about the book, um, you know, I mentioned earlier I was reading your bio. You were in corporate America, right? And you've you've traveled uh, around the states quite a bit. Um, so just tell us a little bit. You know, before you were you were Eric, the author. What were you What were you doing? <laughs> well, I'm still Eric, the corporate guy. So <laughs> okay. Just- which is pretty typical. I, I'm always surprised when I hear how many of these number one New York Times bestsellers still have full-time jobs. And I'm like, really? That's kind of <laughs> depressing to hear. Um, so uh, no, I, so I graduated from college with a finance degree um, and moved around a bunch, actually. Uh, moved out west. And actually out west is where I ended up uh, starting as a temp for the company I'm with now, um, Title Insurance. I didn't know anything about title insurance. I know a lot more about it now, but um, I didn't know anything about title insurance, but I needed a job and I was fortunate enough to get in it. And uh, over the years, people would be like, what is title insurance? I said, well, you, you probably have paid for it, uh, whether you realize it or not, if you bought a house. Yeah. And the, uh, early on, my first boss told me uh, the simplest way to explain title insurance is life insurance, obviously, is something that you purchase to take care of what might happen in the future. If something were to happen to you, your family's covered or whoever's covered for, um, uh, you know, for your death. Uh, title insurance actually works in reverse. You actually are paying insurance for what's ever happened in the past on what you're, uh, what you're buying, on the property you're buying. So uh, that, that always stuck with me. I'm like, okay, well, that makes sense. I'm, I'm, paying, I'm, I'm paying something that might've happened uh, in the past versus what's gonna happen in the future. Um, so, but, but yeah, it's been an interesting, interesting industry. Uh, like, like we were talking before, um, it has allowed me to do some traveling uh, mainly within the States or well for, for job only within the States. I've traveled outside the States personally, but, um, a lot of time in California, um, up until COVID COVID's, I think this is the, I haven't been to California in two years and I was probably in California every two or three months for many, many years. So it's, it's kind of been a little bit of a, uh, adjustment that I'm not, uh, I'm not out there, uh, seeing coworkers and my boss and, um, we're doing, you know, this is, this is the new, new future here. Zoom basically. Yeah. I, I wish, wish I bought stock in them in 2019 because I'm sure <laughs> that they've made some good money during this uh, pandemic. <laughs> most definitely. Most definitely. Um, so, you know, mentioning you're, you're an author and for those who might just be listening in and not watching the video later on, you got a, quite a collection of books behind you there, Eric. Um, and I also noticed some some flags 
uh, you know, we were talking offline, but can you share with our audience a little bit about, you know, where you got those and, and how you yeah. obtained those? Glad to. So um, like we mentioned offline, I did not serve. Um, some of my closest friends have, uh, especially in the writing community, actually, there's, um, there's quite a lot of authors out there that are, that are former veterans. Um, some of them are still active duty, actually, which is pretty, uh, pretty amazing mm. that they're, they're wearing double hats doing that. Um, but yeah, so I had a, a guy that I went to college with, actually, that the, the funny thing about that, he was my roommate my freshman year. He came in that, that, that dorm room the first time, and I just thought, this guy is a jerk and I will never have anything to do with him after I get through this ordeal. 20 something years later, he's still one of my closest friends. And uh, he, uh, he, he ended up dropping out of college after three years. And of all things, he joined the army. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I went to his, uh, I went to Fort Benning when he graduated, um, when he uh, um, got through selection course, I went out to brag uh, for when he uh, when he joined the Green Berets, um, and you know we kept in close contact. Our, our lives definitely went a different direction. He stayed in the military, uh, stayed single, no kids. I got married, had kids, so um, it was kind of one of those unlikely um, friendships that maintained probably with such a divergent uh, lifestyle. He actually it was one of the coolest things. He he, um, he sent me a text. He was overseas doing a contract work. He's uh, since retired uh, since 2020 and uh, got a copy of my book um, to wherever he was. A- Antarctica is where he tells me he goes. Um, so he got a copy there and you know he sent me a really cool text just praising the book and then also thanking me for making sure I kept in contact over the years. And um, yeah, it meant a lot. I let my kids read the text and my kids were kind of like, wow, Uncle Andrew said that? <laughs> That's yeah. him? Like, yeah, so, uh, so that was really cool. But um, as you were mentioning, when you, when you mentioned the flags behind me, um, when, with his deployments, and he was, I should know, I know he, I think he did about five or six deployments to Iraq, uh, two or three to Afghanistan, um, Syria, Lebanon. So, you know, he was all over the Middle East. Um, he'd always bring me back a flag um, nice. for most deployments. Um, some of them are, uh, and actually most of the flags that are behind me, uh, like this one, probably won't be able to see it good for uh, this one. Yeah, the light's bad, but this one actually came from Afghanistan. He, I was actually looking at it. He was here the other week and he's like, I got you that one. And I was like, yeah, I, who else got me a flag from <laughs> Afghanistan? So it's like, I don't remember that one, but, um, but then, so I've got a bunch of American flags that he, he had one, uh, this one back here, he had flown in my honor in Iraq. Um, and then he got me just a bunch of other flags. So I've got Iraqi flag and, Saudi. Uh, the one that's a funny one, I, I had it in my office up until a few months ago when I uh, closed down my offices and I transitioned here to the house. Um, but he brought me back this one flag one time and it's Hezbollah. Mm. And so I never knew if he was kind of straight up with me on the stories because he told me, these, you know, military guys might embellish here or there a little bit, you know. Um, so he starts getting ready. To, so he gives me this Hezbollah flag and I'm like, holy crap. So he gets ready to start telling me this story. And then he just shakes his head. He goes, nah, I bought it at the gift shop at the airport. He's like, no. <laughs> I, that's where I got it. But I did not do anything crazy to get this. Yeah, one. Yeah. So, uh, but it was still cool. It was the thought of having that one up. So people had come in the office when I had it and people are always looking around. And that was the first question is, were you a veteran? And I said, no. So I've, I'd always tell his story. Um, but the Hezbollah one, they normally stop at and they'd be like, is that? I'm like, yeah, it's a terrorist flag uh, it still was up there it was a gift so 
Um, but yeah, they're, they're cool. He'll ask me every now and then, how are my flags? Um, I said, well, I think they're mine now, but I'm keeping them safe for you. That's, uh, that's cool that, you know, even throughout the years, right? Like him being 20 years of service and yeah. you, you, you all, you know, stayed in touch um, yeah. because uh, a lot of military guys, you know, they, they lose touch of, with, with people that they, you know, that didn't serve. Right. Sure. But, uh, that's an interesting bond that you guys got there. And well, I think it's friendship. not, not tribal in the negative way, but you end up associating with those that you connect with. Yeah. Um, so a lot of times with writers, writers are friends with other writers because we talk the same language. Um, military people, of course, you know, can completely understand. And I, I very loosely probably have a leg in both those worlds sometimes in the corporate world with, you know, with veterans, um, with writers. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad we kept, I'm glad I've kept in touch with them. And I also, I also know that it keeps me honest because if I put military stuff in the book, man, I better make sure it's accurate. Sure, I'm yeah, afraid yeah. Of, it's like, I'm going to have so like him and also so many authors out there that are veterans that'd be like, dude, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> of course, I'll be like, you know me, you know, I don't know what I'm talking about. I make crap up. But um, yeah, uh, there's a, a, a well-known, I won't, I won't name drop, but there's a well-known New York Times bestseller that I have definitely asked questions to over the years. And his, his recommendation to me was, if you're in a scene, it's easier for you to say gun than going into the specifics. Because if you start saying a Glock, or if you start saying a SIG, you better make sure that the weapon you're giving that person fits, you know, their background, fits maybe what branch of the military they're in, or whatever it is. Because um, if you screw that up, you're going to get a lot of nasty emails. So, so I've kind of kept that one in my brain over the years of going, do I have to say that he had a Glock, or do I, you know, if it's an FBI agent, uh, you know, what what do I need to include? What do I should I not include? <laughs> So in source, some sort of way, it's kind of kept you honest, right? Like with, with your writing. Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So before we go uh, talk about, again, uh, The Body Man, the book that uh, just came out. First off, where did this, how did you develop? Like, did you always want to be a writer while you were, you had your, your job? Like, how did this all come about as far as like you becoming a writer? So the first thing is I start. I was a reader before okay. I was a writer. I was a reader, which that's the common thread you'll hear from. Even if you continue to, if you're once you make it and you become a writer, um, you're still a reader. I, I read a lot less than I used to just because of time. Um, so I'm a lot more selective uh, with what I read. Um, but yeah, I started off reading it, and you know, my dad worked for the telephone company in Connecticut. And so he'd be out on these late night jobs and he'd be in manholes and up on bucket trucks. And he always would come home though. And he'd always have a, you know, grab one here. He'd, he'd have a paperback in his hand, some sort of a paperback book. And I remember when I was uh, a teenager, young teenager, that he brought home a Tom Clancy book. And I don't even remember now, I'm dating myself. It's been a few years, um, but he brought home a Tom Clancy book and I read it and I was like, just blown away. Uh, might've been some of all fears is what my brain says. But um, honestly, at that point, whatever Tom Clancy wrote after I read the first one, I liked all of them. Um, so it was really that love of Tom Clancy that kind of got me into the, especially the thriller with military, um, uh, you know, he heavily with the military. Um, that kind of got me into the genre and, and that kind of morphed into college with Vince Flynn 
um, and so many other authors. Because in high school, I read a lot of classics, uh, Shakespeare, Dickens. And so when it came to actually writing, the first thing I actually started writing was poetry. Uh, and that was in college. And I've looked at a few pieces over the last several years. And if my college friends kept those, I'm sure they're going to blackmail me at some point because it was such horrible stuff. But uh, it's actually kind of cool. One of the just talking about Clancy. Um, the, one of the coolest things about getting published is and with the glares we've had on there, but um, the gentleman, Don Bentley, who gave me my blurb for the book now writes for the time for the Clancy uh, estate. So okay. with him giving me the blurb on the bottom of the book, besides having Don's name, I also get Tom Clancy's name. Uh, so for me, and, and I try to use that not as a pat on the back. I try to use that as a motivation to people. Say, so look, I grew up reading Tom Clancy. Um, here I am with my first book getting published. Tom Clancy's name is on my book. And it, it's, that's the shelf it sits on. My book sits next to Tom Clancy's book, and that's where it will always sit. Um, and I don't deserve to be on that shelf with what I wrote, probably. But because of that influence growing up, uh, to be able to finish something, get it published, and then be able to have it next to Tom Clancy, um, you know, again, I try to use the motivation of my kids, people I meet, other writers of saying, look, if you put your mind to something, if you put in the hard work, uh, yeah, you might fail, but ultimately the only way you fail is if you quit, if you, if you give up. And I know for the writing journey, especially, I know it applies to a lot of other uh, occupations, but for writing, the biggest reason people don't get published is because they quit. Um, they get rejection, rejection, rejection. And I've got a pile of rejections um i'll still probably get rejections in the future with other projects i work on um so you just have to kind of develop tough skin thick skin and if that's what you want to do keep doing it yeah i think that's uh that's an important message there eric um you know in the beginning right like you're, you're practicing your craft right so in the beginning yeah you're not going to be great at it uh, like you mentioned, the things that you wrote in college, the poetry, they might have, they might not be that great, right? But at, in the end, you know, it's it's helped you um, to become who you are today and get to where you are today, right? Absolutely. Well, so, and full circle too with that. I'll keep it quick. Version is so I went from writing poetry to then actually writing stories similar to what I'm writing now to some degree. Um, in college or after college. Um, but what I found I did is I, on my computer, I've got two folders. One's called books and it's got about 12 to 16 files or folders in there of, of books I've either written or started or projects uh, just to keep track of them. Well, I also have a folder there called old books. And what I did after college up until probably my mid thirties is I would start writing something um, and I would write maybe a couple pages, maybe 50 pages or hundred pages. And I would always find a reason to quit and stop working on it. Whether the idea wasn't there, whether I got distracted and started writing something else, but I never stuck with it. Um, and that was the difference for me. Uh, 2014 is when I finished my first novel, which The Body Man is my fourth completed novel. Um, but in 14, I finished my first novel. And I, I think I was probably going through a, early midlife crisis and going, what I want to do with my life? Well, I wanted to write books and I wanted to actually not give up. I wanted to complete a project. Um, so I did. So in 14, I finished that first book and that kind of, 
even though nothing got nothing happened with it, I wasn't able to, I tried to get an agent, tried to, you know, try to get it published. And I just got the door slammed in my face for a year straight. Um, but that gave me my motivation to then write the second book and the third book. And then finally, you know, the fourth book is what it, it literally just got my foot in the door. That's all it did. Um, but that's what perseverance gets you. It gets your foot in the door and then you got to bully the rest of your way in. You got to get the rest of your body pushed in there. Um, and just, you keep hustling, you keep, you keep pushing. And the secret to that is you keep writing um you're only as good as your last book that you completed so you've got to write another one and especially in the publishing industry great you can write one book and that's kind of the, the hard part I'm in the middle of I guess writing my fifth actually fifth and sixth but under contract what is my fifth book um uh that will be completed probably um but the uh, uh the, the struggle with that is you've got a you got your whole life to write that first one that gets published and then you get the short period of time to finish that second one um and it's got to be as good as that first one that you had your whole life to write <laughs> so yeah so it which is good it puts the it really puts the pressure on you to say okay i've got to stand up but you learn so much in the process you learn so much when you write that first book um that you really can carry that with you as you as you work on the second and the third and the fourth and um you know chronologically the, the books you're going to publish so eric uh you know we have a lot of you know, probably listeners, uh, you know, they want to go into writing, they want to be an author. Mm -hmm. Like, can you just share a little bit about some of the difficulties, the obstacles that you had to go through uh, as a writer? And how were you able to overcome those? And maybe also kind of just give us uh, those listening, some some tips as far as just starting out becoming a writer or becoming an author. Yeah, absolutely. Glad to. Um, the biggest overarching one, which I've already mentioned before, is not quitting. Um, majority of people that start writing a book will never finish it. Um, you're never going to get published if you quit. Guaranteed, you're already lost right there. If you if you quit writing that book, whether you quit after writing one page or you quit after you wrote, you know, 400 pages, and all you need to do is get to 401, um, your first job is to finish that book. Um, whether it can get published or not is a whole nother set uh, of instructions and lessons and everything else. But the, the first thing that I always try to remind people is you can stop this from happening before it ever starts simply by you giving up. Um, so like I said, for me in 14, that was my goal. Um, now, when I finished that first book, I thought I wrote you know the best book ever. And um, apparently not everyone agreed with that in the <laughs> publishing world. Um, but to even take it a step further from that, or further back from that is you basically obviously you have to create an initial idea. Um, some people go into an immense amount of detail. They create outlines. Uh, you know, they figure out their characters and they research everything ahead of time. And then they start writing. Um, I'm what they call a pantser. I'm a little bit not as much as the years have gone on, but a pantser kind of flies by the seat of their pants. So they have an idea and then they just start writing. And they kind of figure it out as they go along to, again, in certain degrees. Um, for me, when I wrote that first book, um, I had kind of the beginning of where I, I knew the characters. I actually flushed out characters in my mind and I knew kind of where I was starting and I knew where I wanted to go. So I knew the beginning. I knew the end. It was the middle that I really wasn't sure on. And I just let that to be, I'd sit down at night and sometimes I'd make notes like, hey, maybe in the next chapter I should do this and the chapter after that I should do that. So I would have sometimes, um, 
you know, some idea of where I was going, but I tried to make it as organic as possible. So I just sat down and let my creativity take over. Um, some people can't do it that way. Some people have to have structure to be able to write a story. Um, I didn't, and I still don't. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm working on the follow-up right now, the body man, and I'm pretty far along with it. Um, the middle though, and, and I'm actually doing this one different. Um, the four books I've written before this, I started chapter one and I wrote two, three, four, and I just went in order. Uh, this book is not that, um, which probably should intimidate me or scare me, but in, I'm, I'm seeing it as a challenge of, I've already written some of the end, I've written several other scenes. And so my goal the next month is to kind of write the filler chapters to fill these, uh, these plot lines together. Um, which again, I, it's not necessarily, I didn't do it to challenge myself, but it's going to challenge myself by doing it that way. Um, but it's kind of hard because there's so many ways to do it. And I mean, there's, I've got books down here at the bottom of the shelf that, you know, how to write a, a thriller or successful novelist, how to be a successful novelist. Um, there's really good advice out there, but at the end of the day, you end up having to figure out what works for you. Yeah. Uh, some people write really good early in the morning, especially, I mean, the average writer has a job, a uh, full-time job or part-time job. It, you know, you, you have to either have a successful, you have to have an income stream some other way or a spouse, maybe that makes good money. Um, or you're just the one that, you know, gets a big book contract, but that's pretty rare. So for the average writer, they're uh, at least when they first get going, the first, you know, five or six books, sometimes uh, they're working a full time job. Uh, so then you got to find a, you know, where you're going to write, when you're going to write. If you have family, um, my advice to everyone with that is do not put that book in front of your kids, in front of your spouse. Um, so then you got to find when you're going to write. You know, and for me, uh, when I wrote that first book, what I did was I cut out television. So I cut out TV and I waited till everybody went to bed, which was good because I was an early to go to bed person anyways. Uh, my spouse wasn't at the time. And so everyone would be in bed by 930 and that was dad time. So everyone's gone. I'd go sit in my office and I'd write. Um, one of the dangers, if you do it this way of what I'm about to explain is you, you can burn yourself out pretty quick because when I wrote that first book, I didn't know how to turn it off. And by that, I mean, I started writing and I'd have to get that scene out of my head before I'd go to sleep. So it was not good because I'd start at 9.30 or 10 and some, some nights I'd write till three or four in the morning. And I did have a job and I did have kids and I'm having to get up. So um, when I started the second book, I realized physically I couldn't do that to myself. So then I had to structure it. And so then I kind of viewed it much more of, okay, I'll, I'll write whenever it goes to sleep and I'll write from 10 to 12. And at 12 o'clock, doesn't matter if I'm in the middle of a great scene, I can make a few notes if I need to, but I need to shut it down. And then I would normally transition myself to bed. Um, I probably, I normally would watch Seinfeld back in the day, watch an episode of Seinfeld, and that would kind of transition me to think about their stupidity and their uh, idiocracy and uh, stop thinking about my own story, basically. Um, but, yeah, but yeah, you got to you gotta figure something out. Some people write better in the morning. So for them, get up early in the morning and write in the morning. Um, or some people write in their lunch break. I mean, just you kind of figure out what works for you and what works for me might not work for you um, in, in the craft of it. Want to support an active duty owned brand? Head over to fortis-fidelis.com 
Again, that's fortis-fidelis.com. And help us in honoring the brave and faithful service of our nation's defenders. All proceeds will help us create and provide memorial coins to the families of our fallen service members. Again, that's fortis-fidelis.com. And help Fortis et Fidelis in honoring the brave and faithful. Yeah, I think there's just different ways to tackle it, like with anything else, right? Like if uh, with a workout, right, like fitness, yeah, yeah. some people are, you know, like to get that first thing out of out of it in in the morning. Uh, Some people like to do it at night, in in the afternoon, during lunch. I think like what you're saying, uh, Eric, is just whatever fits your schedule at that time. Um, And if you're passionate about doing it and you want to continue and not quit, you'll you'll make it work with your schedule yeah yeah and that's a i try to encourage people to at least even if they're not enjoying it very much try to finish that first book um just give it a chance because again because most people quit um now you might finish that first book and realize this was pure torture i don't like what i wrote i don't like the process um and i don't want to do this again well at that point i give them the hey Probably a smart idea, because <laughs> um, if you're if, if this is work, not this work, every it is work. But if this is a misery, if you're not enjoying writing, and you're probably in the wrong craft, you know whether whatever it might be, if you're a nurse, if you're a teacher, a, a doctor, a, um, you know whatever your job is, if you're just absolutely miserable, and this is the only, as far as I'm aware, this is the only chance you're going to get at life. Find something you're passionate about. Find yeah. something that you enjoy and. And I also think too, when you enjoy doing it and you're passionate about it, good things come from that. Um, so I think, you know, if you're a writer and you really enjoy crafting a story and telling a story, I think you're going to tell a much better story than someone is that's doing it because it's a job and they want to make money, but man, they secretly really hate what they're doing. I think that comes out. I think that comes out in your personality and in, in what you, in, in just what you give out, you know, to others even. So, so find what you're passionate about and then, you know, and pour what you have into it again without sacrificing um family um and friends you know maybe you have to sacrifice like i did television or you have to sacrifice sports or um or whatever it might be but find a way to make it work though what is what what would be your advice for um, somebody in the military who might be transitioning out or is a veteran now um they, they want to write about um maybe like their time in service um like what's your tips and advice like what what's the first step that that person needs to do uh first of all well what i'd say is i think that's a great idea for anyone that's uh, that's put on the uniform i think it probably could be very cathartic for them just to put those thoughts down on paper um it almost a form of therapy maybe um just to be able to express what they've gone through, even if it's only just journaling, um, just to maybe let some of that, you know, because, you know, we're, this is really the first time in many, many years that, um, well, really the first time in as long, I guess, as you can remember that we have, you know, literally someone that could have started a career in the military and been in active war for 20 years, like my buddy, my buddy that was in, um, you know, we were in an active war in Afghanistan for, you know, pretty much the entire time he was in the military or, um, or, you know, we had troops on the ground and, 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 and active, um, 
engagements going on. Um, and that's a lot. That's a lot for them. I, even my friend, and I, you know, just using him as an example, um, you know, I love him like a brother, but I definitely saw differences personality wise over the course of years just because of what he was doing. Um, just because, and I, I could sympathize with it as much as possible, but I couldn't understand what he was going through because, you know, back to my background, I'm a finance guy. Um, in my thirties, I start writing novels. I've never been shot at. I've never, he, he had, he had a dog and I didn't even, he came back from one of his deployments and he started talking about his dog. And now I knew he had a dog. He had told me that before he left. And me being, again, ignorant, maybe sometimes to some stuff, um, he mentioned something about bombs. And it kind of dawned on me at that point. I said, wait, you had a bomb dog? And he said, yeah, I was on a dog team. What did you think I had? I said, I don't know. I thought you had a dog with you. He's like, no, I did bomb. I, I got rid of ordinance. And he had all these stories of just, you know, near misses where, you know, basically could have got blown up. And it wasn't just an isolated thing that happened once or twice. Um, and, you know, you go through the stress of something like that. Um, you know, my stress was getting to the office each day or, you know, not, uh, you know, just it, it didn't compare. It really didn't compare. So for the soldiers that have spent, you know, now a career maybe in active duty to our country and are coming out of that, I think to sit down and write, to sit down and kind of let out some of those emotions, even if they don't ever share it with anybody, I think that would be good for them. So my first piece of advice would be, tell your story. Even if it's something you don't show anyone else, tell your story, open up a Word document and just start typing. Um, if you wanna take those stories or take what you've experienced or, or interest you have and turn it into a novel, then yeah, then a little bit more harder work happens where you need to you know, kind of flush out some ideas. I think a great example of that um, is Jack Carr. Um, I've met Jack several times and um, watched a lot of his interviews. And um, he, I think he had like five, I think when he was in the military, he wrote down like five or six story. He, he knew he wanted to be a, a SEAL and he knew he wanted to write books. And God bless him because you're a pretty motivated individual when you do those two things and succeed in them. Uh, those are two pretty elite things to do, become a successful novelist, a, a New York Times bestseller, and also uh, spend 20 years as a Navy SEAL. Um, but I know with some of the things I've heard him say is he wrote five or six ideas down for story ideas. And I believe when he was transitioning out of the Navy is when he actually started writing uh, some of that first novel. So he actually took that year that you have when you go, hey, I'm going to retire now. And the military says, OK, we got to outprocess you. You know, if I were to go retire for my company now, of course, I wouldn't get anything. It's corporate America. Um, but they'd be like, you know, see you later. I get an email, basically. Yeah. There'd be no outprocessing. I'd be done. I'm quitting. I'm done. Um, not the case for when you're retired for the military. You know, you're out processing for the better part of a year. Go get this physical, get this document signed, get this done. And, um, and so he used, utilized that time to, uh, to write. Um, and then so when he came out of the military, I believe he already had pretty close to a full, full one or two um, novels kind of working on and, and ready to go. So, um, so for, for uh, military members that are coming out now, whether they serve for 20 years or you know, just enlisted for four years, um, you know, sit down, come up with some ideas of stuff you want to, uh, the story you want to tell, um, develop some characters um, and just, you know, kind of immerse yourself in the process, especially with something in the military, uh, you know, it was 
it was something you became a subject matter expert in something. Um, so if you want to become a writer, then you're going to need to become a subject matter expert, not in getting everything correct. There's editors for that, but you need to try to learn the craft and learn, you know, learn the process. Um, and there's lots of ways to do that. And there's lots of methodologies. Um, but you know, try, you need to, and there's some good, there's some good resources for, it, especially if you don't know anything about it. Um, there's some good books out there that kind of, kind of tell you, you know, cause some people write like a three act book where you have act one, act two, act three, um, you know, and then other people do part one, part two, and there's so many ways to do it. Um, but you know, just you dive into it and, uh, you give it the same thing you give during your career, give it everything you have. If it's not something you want to do, no shame in stopping doing something you don't like. Uh, there is shame in quitting, especially if it's something you have the ability to do and it's just hard. And that's why I tell my kids, tell my kids that all the time. Look, I don't, uh, my, my, kid, my son does karate. You know, he's so much into it that I'd never have to worry about him stopping doing it. But I has always told him from day one, if this is something you want to pursue, I'll encourage you to do it. Just give it everything you have. Don't yeah. go in there and say, eh, you know, I don't want to learn this kata. Or, oh, this one's hard. Yeah, welcome to life. Life's hard. Um, <laughs> if you want to succeed, though, put your big boy pants on and get ready for the ride. Yeah, I think, uh, you, you know, you mentioned Jack Carr. I think that's a great example for any veteran or, or active duty that's wanting to be a writer. Like, he's a great example of that. Like you mentioned, New York Times bestselling author and things like that. So, yeah. Well, and he's worked hard that he's, and there's several of them that have not, Jack's not the only one, but um, you don't get to that level and you don't uh, have that success without putting in the hard work. Um, and he, he's a machine. I don't know how he does everything he does every day, um, but God bless him. I'm glad he does. Cause again, he's, he's an example of what hard work can get for you. Um, and, and, you know, any, anyone that you see that's achieved that level of success, um, they didn't just walk into it. You know, nothing was handed to them, um, especially something like writing. Um, you know, when you're putting it out there and you're successful doing it, it's a hard thing to succeed in. It's hard to stand out. There's a lot of really good writers out there. So to, um, you have to get better at the craft. Um, I know some of the best compliments I got from the, the body man was actually insulting my former books from people I knew. Um, because they'd say, man, the body, I mean, I've heard this so many times in the last couple of months, it's friends, people I've known that they got early copies of my first book. Um, and they told me at the time, Hey, good job. I like this. And now the truth comes out. Now they read the body man and they're like, man, that was shit. What you were writing back in 2014. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. <laughs> so, um, but you know what? They're absolutely right. It was. Um, and I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot in yeah. seven years of writing. And if I haven't, then I'm doing the wrong thing. Because if I'm not getting better at it, in The Body Man, it's a really good book. But is that the best I can write? God, I hope not. Um, there's so many things I can improve on. It's so many ways I can get better at the craft. And, um, you know, again, you put in the hard work and you just keep trying to write a better book than the last one you wrote. And don't go on autopilot. Yeah, so uh, Eric, um, talk to us a little bit about uh, the latest book, The Body Man. Can you just yeah. uh, describe to the audience uh, what it's about, um, you know, and where we can find it? And then we'll sure. go into the second segment of the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's a political thriller. 
Um, and like we have on the cover, um, kind of the, the uh, ele elevator pitch was uh, who protects the life of the president, the Secret Service, but who protects the office and the secrets of the presidency, the body man, and he's just vanished without a trace. Um, so basically what you have is you have a role within the White House, um, someone that's come through the hierarchy of the Secret Service, and their job is to not protect the president, but to protect the office. Um, and, you know, what happens if the person goes missing? You know, what secrets did that person know? Because uh, this, this person's job is pretty unique. Uh, their role is to either, and this is factoring into the second book, what I'm writing now, um, and not people in Washington do not like this. So you have an unelected person in the White House, and their job is twofold, either prevent the president from doing something that's going to tarnish the reputation of the office, or if you can't prevent that and the president does it, then your job is to clean it up. Uh, the last thing they want is the president doing something that's going to make the office look worse than maybe it has, you know, recently, <laughs> whatever administration people want to focus on. Um, the, the, the body man's job is to make sure we don't have those things happen. Um, so it's really been a fun thing to explore. And actually the idea for it actually came, I was, uh, we talked about working hard. Uh, I had a cleaning job years ago. I was actually writing, um, I think I was writing the second book at the time. Um, I might've might been just getting ready to write the third, but I, um, I, I knew I wanted an idea for a new book. And uh, I was doing a cleaning job. I came into this office, turned off the alarm. Um, it was going to be a boring night for three hours of just literally cleaning an office, as, as glamorous as that sounded. And um, turned off the alarm, and I just this thought ran through my brain. And it wasn't a voice. It, I'm not crazy. Nothing weird like that. But this thought ran through my brain of there's always someone who knows where the bodies are buried. And I kind of chewed on that for a second. I was like, that sounds like a mafia story. I'm not a mafia writer. What in the world? And so then I answered my own question, who would know where the bodies are buried? And the answer to me was logical, the body man. And I'm like, man, I like that. I like that phrase. And then I realized I didn't create that phrase. I had seen a news story at some point there in the last year before that or so of President Obama. Um, this, is a, so this is a true story. He had a guy working for him named Reggie Love. I'd love to get a copy of the book to Reggie. I actually reached out to a member of the Secret Service back in November and said, can anyone get me Reggie's address? I'd love to send him this book. But um, the media dubbed Reggie the body man. And um, I still to this day don't know exactly what Reggie did. Um, I think some of the things I kind of gleaned was that he carried uh, the president's uh, Blackberry and probably his smokes. And you know, if the president saw something at the store that he wanted, probably Reggie ran over with some money and paid for it or credit card. Um, you know, he was basically the right president's right hand man to get him what he needed to take care of him. And I thought, well, that's a really boring story. So what if we had someone that was called the body man, but what if their job had nothing to do with that? What if their job was to protect the actual office? Um, and so then from there, I just kind of was off to the races. I had about three hours and I really flushed out a high level story idea of what the, what the book is years later. Um, I didn't write it for a while. Uh, I, didn't, I probably didn't start it for almost a year, year and a half, two years after the initial idea, but I kept chewing on it over the course of doing other things. And I kept coming back to it and going, man, that would be a great story. And when I finished that first draft, I thought, damn, I got something good here. And um, unfortunately, it still took like three years before 
I'm sitting here talking to you yeah. and get the book published. Uh, it took a long, long time, but uh, um, and so I've got I've got a three book deal. So I'm working on the second one now. I I kind of know what I'm going to do with the third, but kind of don't know what I'm going to do with the third. I'm 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 I'm, I'm kind of setting up some groundwork, some framework that I don't really know what I'm going to do with uh, for a third book. So I'll again I'll have to I'll have to push myself. I'll have to get creative. I'll have to take those little things I laid out there and then expand on them and, you know, make a, make a really cool story. That's better than the first and the second one in the series. That's awesome, man. And uh, again, congratulations on the, pub the publishing and obviously the second and third book that will for sure uh, be on the lookout for. Um, so Eric, before we go to the second segment of the podcast, what is one thing you want our listeners, our viewers uh, to take away from this episode? Yeah, the, 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 the voice I've tried to have consistently with everything I've been talking about just in my journey is that, you know, my journey really doesn't need to be much different from a lot of the other authors that are getting going. Um, uh, you know, I'm not that special. I'm not that intelligent. I can craft a good story, but the reason I'm sitting here, the reason my book's on the shelf next to Tom Clancy's is because I didn't quit. I didn't give up and I didn't, you know, the rejection hurts. Anyone that tells you otherwise, man, I like someone saying, well, this is crap. Um, they're either a sadist or a liar. Um, I didn't like the rejection part of it, but the rejection did fuel my fire of saying, okay, am I getting rejection because something I wrote wasn't good? Or am I getting rejection because it's a very objective thing to say, well, I don't like your story. I don't like even the body, man. I got rejected a little, you know, a year straight from agents for the body man. And I'd have pretty well-respected authors read the book and they're like, this is a slam dunk, man. You're going to have no problem getting a deal with this. And then I'd get more rejections and more rejections. Mm. Um, and so it just made me keep pushing. It made me, you know, how do I, how do I get the book published? How, how, I don't, I didn't want the first three are sitting on a hard drive on my computer over there. Um, I didn't want the fourth book to be sitting there. And I also didn't want to self-publish. And that is not a knock at self-publishing. I just knew all the steps I had to do to self-publish a book and everything I'd have to invest in to that. And I didn't want to go down that path. Um, I wanted to write more books, not turn into a publisher, which if you're self-published, that's what you are. You're wearing every hat, unless you're paying someone. If you're, you know, you can self-publish and pay someone to design your cover, which is a smart idea. Uh, graphic design is not, you know, an inherent trait most people have. Um, so it's good to, you know, hire people out for those things, but you know, then can you afford to do it? Uh, the first edit I did for this book was, uh, when I was married and that wouldn't have gone over well if she knew I was paying for an editor. So I had to find a way to pay for an editor. So, um, but I believed in the book. I believed in what I was writing. And again, I didn't want it to sit on a hard drive of a computer. Um, I wanted to really stick with it and, you know, several years later, there it is. It's sitting there. Um, and I'll have another one next to it, hopefully by the end of this year. And then the end of the next year, I'll have another one. And, you know, my goal is to um, not just have one and done, but have a career. Um, again, that only happens if I stick with it. And, 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 and anyone can stick with it. Can anyone be successful and get a book published? No. The reality is you yeah. might not write something good enough to be published. However, you're not going to know that until you finish that first draft. So stick with it. That's my, that's my, I'll, I'll, I'll proclaim that 
till I'm 80 years old and hopefully have a pile of books up there for people to say, hey, I wrote those. Um, the reason that happened is because I didn't quit and they shouldn't quit either. Yeah, I think that's a, a great uh, point and message any anybody like what in whatever you're doing right um exactly continue to pursue uh what you're passionate about and and, and like you said you'll never know if you quit right um so eric going into the second segment of the podcast this is what mm -hmm. i call the fast five these are the Ooh. same five questions i asked all my guests so first question eric what's one hobby you enjoy uh, outdoor hiking is probably my favorite hobby. I try to get out as often as I can. I've uh, and actually I've moved recently. I'm actually next to a national battlefield. Um, it's a place that I had driven by probably a hundred times over the years, and I visited with my son for his birthday last year, for his 14th birthday. And just the way life happens is I happen to buy a house 15 minutes from it now. So that's normally my kind of my quiet place uh, to go to and just hike. And it's Real quiet. Uh, it's a Cowpens battlefield. Um, so, you know, it's a battlefield that, that it was fought many, many, many years ago, and most people don't know anything about it. And uh, they, they think the Mel Gibson movie, The Patriot, was uh, mainly um, part of that movie and a little piece of it was. Uh, so it was kind of cool to learn the history of it. But uh, it's a real peaceful place. Um, just go down there and uh, can just kind of think, and there's not many people that go there. So, any anytime outdoors, um, I'm fortunate I've I uh, was talking about the first book earlier. The first book I finished, actually, I finished in Yosemite. Uh, I was on a work trip. Um, I got done with the work trip and I stayed an extra day. Um, flew out late, late that next night just so I could finish the book there. Um, so so if, if one of the questions is, where's your favorite place on planet Earth? I'll hold off and answer that. Yosemite answer in a few minutes, though. So. <laughs> um, next question. If you had to choose one person to hang out with for one day, who would it be and why? Alive or dead? Yeah. Ooh, alive or dead? Um, I probably it, maybe you get this answer a lot though. It's not for the military side of it, but I'd probably say George Washington. Um, so there's a lot of alive people that I probably would like to hang out with, but I don't know if uh, I studied a lot about Washington. I was a history minor in in, in college. Uh, I thought about teaching history at one point, and you know. We live in an amazing country. Uh, we have our scars. We've made some pretty terrible mistakes. We're human beings. Um, but the tone that I think Washington set for our country, you know, he could have been our first king. Uh, His Excellency very easily could have just taken over for King George, yeah. you know, from England and just been the next King George of America. Um, but instead, the decisions he made, I think, really shaped, shaped the, re our, our, the rest of our history. Um, so I think if I had to sit down with one person, I'd sit down with, uh, I sit down with president Washington for sure. Okay. Uh, so other than the body man or anything you've written, recommend a book for our audience to read. <laughs> um, so probably my go-to is normally a Clancy or a Vince Flynn. And a lot of times I end up going to transfer of power. Um, so transfer of power was one of, uh, Vince's early books. Um, but I like that it took place in the White House, probably because I've kind of been living in that White House world for years with the body man, and I still am with the current books I'm writing. Um, but yeah, so Vince Flynn, Transfer of Power, I thought was uh, was a phenomenal book because, 
and I know that turned some movies, White House down and different movies into it. Um, but how can you take inside a White House, make that the whole book and make it super interesting? Um, Vince Flynn did it. So mm. He did a good job with that book. It's my favorite one of his. To transfer power by transfer Vince power, Flynn. Vince Flynn. Yeah. Okay. And it's actually out of all the Vince, I have all, I think I have all his books. I have most of his books. It's actually the one that I have signed. And I, um, I've actually sent it to a couple of the guys that kind of run the fan sites and stuff. I've, I've mentioned that to him, which totally happenstance. I did not, he was, uh, I think he was alive when I had the book, but um, it was towards the end there. But uh, yeah, it's the fact that it's signed too was, was a nice feather in the cap. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, so Eric, next question. What's your favorite quote and why? Uh, the only thing necessary for evil for triumph is for good men to do nothing. Uh, Sir Edmund Burke, I think it was Edmund Burke. Might be getting it. I don't remember the name, but I do remember hearing that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, you know, especially with kids, um, there's a lot, of, a lot of crap in this world. And what I always try to tell my son is no matter what's going on, no matter what anyone else is doing, you can choose to do what's right. Yeah. Um, to me, that was the easiest part of pure, you know, I, I was a pretty good kid as a teenager. I didn't, I didn't do any of the horrible things that screw up your life, of course. Um, but I don't know. I just saw people make a lot of mistakes and I thought, you know what, make right choices, make good choices. Um, if you make poor choices, there's consequences to them, first of all. Um, but also I want to be someone that people are going to look up to and say, well, you know, they, they, they stood for what's right, not maybe they took the easy way out and just, you know, made, yeah. made those wrong choices. All right. So Eric, last question, where do you see yourself in a year, five years, or even 10 years from now? Ooh, horrible question. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't know the answer to that. Um, a year from now, I plan on having another book out. <laughs> Hopefully, I actually want to finish a, yeah, a standalone book as well this year. Um, so for a year, we'll say we've got a couple more books on the shelf. We're working hard. Uh, for five-year plan, I'd like to be actually doing well enough that that could be my job. Um, that could pay. And um, in case my boss hears this, he knows that as well. He, he gives me a hard time and says, one day you're going to be a bestseller and you're going to leave me. Um, and I go, sweet. No. Um, who knows? The publishing industry is a hard way to make money. So um, I do it because I love it, not because of the uh, possibility of financial uh, success. Um, in 10 years, what though I would like the success because there's a book I want to write and I came up with the idea years ago. I have notes for it is all I have. Um, it's set on a South Pacific Island. I will not say the name of the island because I don't want it to get extra attention and people to like, you know, take my idea. But when I came up with the idea, I made a promise to myself. I will not write this novel from my house, from my living room, from my backyard, whatever. I will write this novel from this island. Um, so 10 years from now, I'd like to be sitting on that beach, writing that book with those characters there in the South Pacific, not having to worry about going back to work the next day <laughs> or writing a book in a week because I took a week off work. No, I want to be able to write that book there. So, so that's my 10-year goal. Get to the South Pacific and write my book. <laughs> That's awesome, man. So, uh, Eric, uh, thank you for, for sharing your, uh, a little bit about your story and uh, talking to us about the books thank and you. how we can, you know, for our audience out there who might be interested, how to get started. Um, you mentioned just a great message, right? Just never quit because you'll never know if you can 
if you'll be able to to do and to finish it right so uh, final thing, Eric, where can our audience, where can they follow you and where can they uh, support you? Sure. I appreciate that. Um, so I go to my website, which is ericpbishop.com. P is my middle name, Paul. So Eric, there was an Eric Bishop already there. So I got ericpbishop.com. That will kind of get you the links to everything. Uh, the book is available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble, uh, their websites. If you just type in The Body Man by Eric P. Bishop, that should come up. Um, I'm on Twitter at EPB author, I believe my initials EPB author, uh, same for Instagram. And then I think Facebook is, I believe Eric P Bishop author is Facebook. Um, I probably spend the most time on Twitter, uh, which is probably a good and a bad. Um, I like Instagram a lot. Uh, Facebook serves its purpose so it's uh probably my <laughs> least favorite of the social media sites i do have a tiktok account my kids were mortified when i said that and i just any videos i shoot and put on twitter or instagram or whatever i end up dumping on tiktok and yeah, like yeah. you know 200 views and i'm lost amongst all the craziness on tiktok which is a ridiculous platform but unless people want to buy my book from tiktok you know okay cool then i like your platform <laughs> um but no twitter's probably the main one it, uh, twitter's really the cool thing about Twitter, um, besides it being a time sucking time suck. out, of your, out of your life, um, it's actually allowed me, though, to interact with a lot of good authors. So, um, you know, we were just not name dropping, but we talked about Jack Hart earlier. Um, I interacted with Jack at uh, on Twitter. And so when I went to a writing conference in New York City, which is 2017, Thriller Fest, there was Jack Carr and I went up and talked to him and Jack Carr knew who I was because we had talked to each other on Twitter. Um, and, you know, we just made a connection like that. Well, that happened because of social media. Um, so, you know, social media is what you make it. Um, a lot of people dog it and the time restraint is a big thing, but you know, you can leave a positive presence on social media or a negative presence on social media. Um, I, tr I used to post a lot more political stuff, and I just, I backed off doing a lot of that because you're never going to convince anyone. Yeah. But chances are you're never going to convince anyone. Um, you're going to piss a lot of people off. If you're trying to sell books, you want to make everybody happy, not half the people happy and half the people mad. So, uh, you know, most of the time, just keep your opinions to yourself and write a damn good story. Yeah, I think that's a great point just um, with social media, right? You make the most you make what you uh you what am i saying this you make what you can with it right like yeah. um you know you can either use it for good or you can use it for bad right um, it's, well there's it's, just it's so ugly. much i don't know people i'm always torn on it because people love to and you know it, the downs definitely the downside of social media as a whole is it's made everyone think that they're a big tough guy you know, you can say anything. I can go insult the president, anybody I want in social media, and there's no recourse for it. Versus if I were to meet you in the street, um, you know, would I come up to him and be like, I don't like your hat? No, I wouldn't do that because you're probably going to clock me and you should clock me for that. Um, but on social media, I can post something and say, I don't like your hat. That hat looks horrible. Really? Well, there's no consequences to what I say. What am I going to get blocked? Um, so in, in that sense, it's definitely done us a disservice as a society, um, because we're, we're, we'll say, you'd say things you wouldn't normally say, um, without having consequences to it. Um, and I, I don't know, it's, I've definitely over the years got to the point where I've said, okay, I need to think twice before I hit 
post or send or whatever option I got on the social media platform. And, you know, what am I doing by posting this? Um, you know, people build brands. That's a smart thing. And um, I, I don't have a, you know, I don't, my, my finance background isn't much of a brand. So I just try to be myself. Um, I got a Blackstone grill after Christmas. And I know recently I've been posting stuff on the Blackstone because that's what I'm doing. I'm excited yeah. to cook on it. It cooks amazing. So, uh, you know, hey, go, you know, if Blackstone wants to sponsor me and buy some books, I'm okay with that. So <laughs> they have a great product. So, um, but no, it's, uh, <laughs> it, it's been an interesting journey for sure. <laughs> well, uh, again, Eric, thanks for taking the time, sharing your story. Uh, and then for our audience, make sure you go uh, check out the book, The Body Man, uh, available on Barnes and Noble and Amazon, wherever you can pick up the book uh make sure you go check out eric on the social media uh ep author on twitter epb EP author EP on uh twitter and also check him out on instagram on uh on there and then uh go to the website eric p bishop.com sir all right eric uh thank you again for the time and uh looking forward to hearing more about the upcoming books Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. All right. Take care. Hey, everyone. Raiden here. I just want to thank you for listening to our podcast. And make sure you guys go check out our website, fortist-fidelis.com. Again, that's fortist-fidelis.com. And learn how you can help us support in providing these memorial coins to the families of the fallen and make sure you guys go follow our social media on facebook frts fdls again that's frts fdls and on instagram and twitter at frts underscore fdls again that's frts underscore fdls and make sure you guys go subscribe, review, and leave a comment on our podcast on all the podcast platforms. Till then, take care.